Michael Ray. No. Sign of the Times. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Oh, Star Wars is it? Uh, no. Same coming. I like it. Ah. Sade. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Goat or Go, a comprehensive and slightly opinionated look at the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I am, as always, your host, Wendy Kay. Welcome back, dear listeners, and welcome, music lovers, if this is the first time you're listening. Let's dive right into the music. So today, we're taking a look at spot number 488, and that means that we get to cover the Stooges. The Stooges. From 1969, we get to see the reoccurrence of Husker Du and New Day Rising, and newcomer into this party mix is D'Angelo's Voodoo from 2000. So, let's dive right into it. So here's what Rolling Stone had to say about the Stooges' debut album. Fueled by a little marijuana and a lot of alienation, quote-unquote, Michigan Stooges gave the lie to hippie idealism, played with a savagery that unsettled even the most blasé clubgoers. Ex-Velvet Underground member John Cale produced a primitive debut wherein, amid Ron Asherton's wah-wah blurts, Iggy Stooges, nay, James Osterberg, snarled seminal punk classics such as I Wanna Be Your Dog, No Fun, and 1969, bedrock examples of the weaponized boredom that would become a de rigueur punk posture. This album is also listed at number 185 in 2012 and also in 2003. Also, the album's Funhouse is listed at number 94 in 2020 and at number 191 in 2012 and 2003. And the album Raw Power is at number 128 in 2012 and 125 in 2003. So, listening to this album, I can definitely understand that this is in the punk genre of things. It sounds like this is grandfather punk. Like, this is old school punk. This is older than, I think, a lot of the work that I've listened to so far. And because it sounds like old school punk, this greatly inspired punk bands to come in the future, and also probably alternative rock bands in the future. It also is pretty basic. (laughs) Because when I when I listened to this, I was I didn't know what year that this album was from, and so I was like, "Oh, this is the Stooges are just the cheap Ramones," and no, I'm actually dead wrong. The Ramones are just better quality sounding. The Stooges also didn't know that this band was Iggy Pop's first band before he became his own act, and to that I say, uh, I know I'm gonna have to talk about Iggy Pop later and his influence on music, but I didn't really have a good time with this album. I would say if your state is legal, this is a really good album to listen to while you're high, because the lyrics aren't the thing that draw the listener into the album. It's the sound and the instrumentation, especially the fucking guitar. Like, the guitar work on this album is balls-to-the-wall spectacular. Like, Each song just keeps building up on that guitar, and it's really, really great. I would say that their first song is also their best song off of this album. 
just because like that guitar work I was just so impressed by. I was like, oh, I can get into this. And then the rest of the album doesn't really match that same level of intensity or ferocity as the first song. To be clear, the first song on the record is 1969. And while I think that is a fun song, and I think it's a great way to start off the album, it also does have the worst fucking lyrics, but the most memorable lyrics. And that lyric is, now I'm going to be 22, I say oh my, and a boo-hoo. Like, that is the penmanship and the pinnacle of lyricism of this band. I will take no further commentary. I don't care about any of the other lyrics in any other song. This lyric is going to haunt me with how weird and kind of terrible it is. And also, since now knowing how old this band is and the evolution of punk music in America, I can hope and pray and hear better lyrics than now I'm going to be 22, I say oh my and boohoo. I will also say that there is one song on this album. That really defines the nature of you need to be high while listening to this song. There's a song on here that is ten goddamn minutes long. It is the song called We Will Fall. And this is the song that I think a lot of people will listen to when they're high. It also sounds like a song that you just want to listen to when you're high. And I think that's what the commentary for Rolling Stone by saying fueled by a little marijuana and a lot of alienation. This is also the song where you are introduced to white guys recreating Eastern-sounding music. Now, I don't know roughly around this time period when there was the importation of Eastern sound and music and instrumentation into the United States and into popular culture. But let me just say, like, I don't know how well this works in the band's favor. The problem that the band is facing when you have a, when you have a song that relies on these Eastern instrumentation and chanting and all of this Eastern imagery, but the rest of the album does nothing with that, nor are you crediting anybody we're bringing in people who are actually from that culture and, like, have an identity with that culture. It's a little weird. Um, <laughs> I can honestly think that there was definitely no conversation about cultural appropriation that we know about today in online discourse. And so, like, it's it's also kind of weird having this modern audience lens of looking at this and being like, this is cultural appropriation. I'm not sure what led the band to have this kind of sound or, like, what they wanted to go with it. It doesn't help that it just makes this album much longer than it needs to be. And let me tell you, dear listeners, when you find this album on Spotify, not only are you going to get the original vinyl cut, there is also the John Cale mix of the entire album. So you are listening to the same songs back to back on the same record with maybe minor 
musical mixing? I don't really know, but let me tell you, the whole remastered edition includes alternate takes and live covers, and it pushes the album over two hours, and it's so not worth it. It's so not worth it. I literally stopped myself because I was driving at the time, and so I kind of was stuck listening to the Stooges singing and and playing their instruments and just getting collectively a little more and more pissed off because I kind of felt like I was being stuck in this hell. Don't get me wrong, like, the it's a fine enough album, like, it's an okay album, but I feel like it's very weird to listen to a whole album that had been cut and released and then this remastered version decides to include the original cutting and editing of the songs. After the original cut, like, why can't you just make that remastered version its own album? Like, and then people who are fans of the Stooges or, you know, like, who want to be real artsy about it because it's John Cale of the Velvet Underground who mixed these guys and whatever. <laughs> I'm sure John Cale is a great dude, um, if he's still alive, and if he's not, I'm sure he was a great dude. But listening to his mix versus the one that was cut on the album didn't really make a whole lot of difference to me, and quite frankly, I was very bored, and so I stopped listening. I haven't learned listened to the alternate takes, and I didn't listen to the live versions. Now, I don't think that puts me at a disadvantage in any way when critiquing and looking at this album in particular, because unlike previous albums that have alternate versions of songs or live versions of their songs, I'm also not re-listening to an entire goddamn album that is remastered from a different producer. So, anyway. And I know that, like, I said in my previous episode that I considered the Phil Spector and various artists three-hour monolith of a playlist to be one of the greatest albums of all time. But that is very different in terms of a listening experience because at least every single song, at least for the most part, except for so young and not too young to get married. Every single song is a different song, so I'm not actually like re-listening to the same lyrics, which don't change, by the way, over time. It's dumb. It's really, really dumb. I will say I'm thankful for the education into punk again, and I'm interested to see where the Stooges kind of go and what their evolution of an artist is. And also see what happens with Iggy Pop, because I know he's going to pop back up again. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how it goes from there. Now, going from one punk scene, we're going to fast forward to a couple of decades with Husker Du, New Day Rising. And this is a re-listen of the album. If you want to check out my commentary about Husker Du, check out episode 495. Having a second listen of any album, I realize, is always going to be an interesting time because my expectations of this album at least change. Although, I was very resistant to actually get back into listening to Husker Du. After my first listen through, I very clearly remember, I'm like, I don't get it, I don't understand it, keep those punks away from me, I do not like them. I will say, they sort of grew on me again, and I can understand the singer a little bit better. I think it also helped that I was reading the lyrics 
the first time around, so I can kind of remember any sort of things that stood out to me versus not. I will say I did like this listen through again, having just listened to the Stooges, just to sort of understand the evolution of punk music from the 60s into two decades. And then, you know, listening to Pearl Jam as like another separation of that punk scene and more into the more like alternative rock grunge scene, at least from my experience with Vigology, which you can also listen to in episode 492. I'm just throwing out all the different episodes today, folks. <laughs> One thing feeds to another, which feeds to another, which feeds to another. It's a good time. So there were a couple of songs from Husker Du that I remember. I was like, this is this is an okay song, and I wouldn't mind listening to them. And they still hold up to what I remember, and that is The Girl Who Lives on Heaven Hill. Still stands out to me. I think it grew on me a little bit. I still don't know where Heaven Hill is or what the singer is exactly talking about with Heaven Hill. But, you know, it's a fun song. And the song, Books About UFOs, is still a really cute song, guys. I don't know. There's something about singing about this girl who loves looking through a telescope at aliens and reading about them and just being curious about the vastness of space. I think it's just... It's so cute, <laughs> you know? If there's anything about Husker Du that I can say, I'm like, man, they have a really fun song about aliens. <laughs> That's my main takeaway from this. And then the song Plans I Make is still a very big mood. And it still fills me with some sort of weird anxiety. But I know that I'm gonna remember the last lines of Make plans! Make plans! Any time when I feel very unproductive and that's just what society wants me to do. You know, Husker Du, like, it was fun re-listening to these guys again. I know that I have one more re-listen of them. So, you know, maybe for all those Husker Du fans, you might get your chance to be considered a greatest of all time record. Who knows? Stick around and find out. But finally, we have the newcomer to this list and who I have actually never heard before. And that's D'Angelo and the album Voodoo from 2000. Now, Voodoo is also number 28 in 2020 and 481 in 2012. And his album's Brown Sugar is at number 183 in 2020. And the album Black Messiah is number 395 in 2020. I had to take the, take a look for a second. I had to kind of do a quick search about D'Angelo just because I was like, is this a solo act or is this a group of singers? Especially the harmonization that happens. Like, it is very well done. Nope, it's just one dude and he only has three albums. And turns out that 2020 wanted to include him and all of his albums in the list. So that's a really fun thing to figure out. And I kind of understand why. Like, D'Angelo's sound is... It's a little bit of rock, it's a little bit of R&B, it's a little bit of hip-hop, it's a whole lot of funk. This guy's really fun. I wonder if he was inspired a little bit by Marvin Gaye, a little bit. But also, this album has the sound of, this is from the 90s. I know exactly when this album was made. It was 
It felt like a 90s, early 2000s record, and boy was I spot on with that. Just the turn of the goddamn millennium. Incredible. So one of the reasons that I couldn't quite tell if this was a solo group or if this was a group of guys was, in the back of my head, D'Angelo sounded like a sexier version of Boys to Men, especially with the songs right and left, and feel like making love. Yeah, you know, like, this this guy brings out a lot of very interesting sexual energy into this record. Whether I'm sure it's intentional or not, but I, that's why I think he's kind of inspired by Marvin Gaye in a way, because he just kind of continued that sort of, like, sexy time feel vibe of an R&B singer, and just kind of kept rolling with it, even into the new millennium. There's a couple songs on this album that, in terms of their sound, it sounded especially like a couple of songs on Awaken My Love, which is a great album and also is not on the Rolling Stone list, guys! I'm going to take a quick second and rant for a second. So, one of the things about this Greatest of All Times list is they don't include Awaken My Love as one of the greatest albums of all time, and I think that's kind of a goddamn shame because that album is really good. Like, Redbone is a great song. It's, ah, God, what is wrong with Rolling Stone? Hopefully they include it in in the list if it comes out in eight years or so. But by including D'Angelo, like, I can see his influence more so than I can see the influence that Boys to Men may have had on popular music. Like, I think D'Angelo may have stuck around a little bit longer, and maybe his impact on music may have been a little bit better. Also, one thing that I really like about this album is it flows so nicely from one song to another. It doesn't feel like there's any interruption. Like, it feels so natural when the album just kind of has a good stream of music coming your way. And it doesn't stop, either. Like, I can't think of a song that I really hate off of this album. And so it's really nice when, you know, I can't pinpoint a song that I really hate. And, like, there's a couple songs that I really love. It just shows how solid the album is when it just is able to flow from one thing to another and get introduced to new styles of music and new things that they're singing about. It's a great time. The song, untitled, in parentheses, how does it feel? Let me tell you, folks, this is a sexy as hell number. This song is so hot. I really like this song a lot. And it builds up really nicely. But the thing about it is, when I said that this album flows really nicely, this is the only time that it really kind of stops, and it, like, it abruptly ends, and there's no transition into the next song, which is Africa. So it, it kind of is weird, but I'm glad that this, this song wasn't the last song on the album, thank Christ, because the last song on the album, Africa, actually is the song that I think ties up the album really nicely, and it ties back to the song Playa Playa really well. I will say another standout song for me was the song Devil's Pie. Like, lyrically, that song is very fun, and I can't wait to kind of take a look and dive into it a little bit more, because I was just like, this is fun. This is a fun song. So, good on you, D'Angelo. I'm really looking forward to Brown Sugar and to Black Messiah when I get to them. I've never really listened to a lot of soul music or neo-souls. This is going to be a new experience for me, so I can't wait to kind of dive into that genre just a little bit more. So anyway, here we are. 
It's almost the end of the episode. I'm sure some of you may have dipped out. But we're going to list the greatest of all time albums. I know, it's so exciting. And I'm going to say that the greatest of all time album, moving forward, I think it's going to be D'Angelo and Voodoo. I think that Voodoo is going in between, is going to be just below Ocular Spectacular from MGMT and just above Suicide by Suicide. That sounds about right. Well, that just about wraps it up for me. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to follow me on social media, spread the word about this good show, and if you want to support me, go check out my Patreon. But until then, I am, as always, Wendy Kai. Thanks for listening, and DJ, let's drop that track. Goat or Go is a podcast created and hosted by me, Wendy Kay. I also edit the podcast. Original artwork is by Paige A. Special thanks to the entire Rolling Stone magazine writing team. Without you, there wouldn't be this podcast. Follow the podcast on social media, Goat or Go Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, music lovers. Keep on listening, and I'll see you next week.